iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yo, technology, what is it all about? So even for me as a happy person, it added so much of happiness and positivity. So it was hands down the single most meaningful thing I've ever done in my whole life that I was literally the next day, I was like, okay, I can totally see if it's doing this amount of positivity to me mm. as a healthy, happy person, I can totally see how this might be able to cure and help people with mental health issues. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Thank you for tuning in. I am Danny Fortson, the West Coast correspondent for the Sunday Times and your host. We have a great podcast for you this week and it is all about psychedelics. Uh, on the program to talk about it is Christian Angermeyer. He is the founder of Atai Life Sciences, which recently went public on the NASDAQ at around 3 billion dollars and a tie is just totally unique it is the world's largest and i'm pretty certain the only psychedelics company and what it has done over the past few years is really recast magic mushrooms ketamine ibogaine these substances that are either classified as class a drugs or or just illegal drugs and really reposition them as potentially breakthrough medicines for a whole range of mental health problems, most notably treatment-resistant depression. They are all now in critical trials of various stages, including um, at Compass Pathways, which ties a big investor in, and Compass, of course, is the London-based um, developer of psilocybin-based treatments for depression. But Angermeyer has been driving this bus just for a number of years, um, a pretty lonely pursuit, and how he got there is really interesting. He's a biotech entrepreneur, he's a venture capitalist, and some years back, he took magic mushrooms, had an amazing experience, and then was convinced by a small but growing body of academic work and studies that there's a real business here. There's a real opportunity to turn psychedelics toward our very severe and growing mental health crisis. And so that is what he has done with a tie, and they've made some pretty amazing progress just in a pretty short period of time. And Angermeyer does a bunch of other stuff as well. He's a film producer. He's also the biggest investor in DEAG, which is a big live events and concerts company. And he's got some interesting friends. So alongside him on this whole psychedelics journey were Peter Thiel, you know, the Facebook billionaire, Mike Novogratz, um, another billionaire big in the crypto world. And it was basically those three who helped really fund a tie, get it off the ground and really get some momentum 
along with a bunch of other people in the industry behind psychedelics as something other than just, you know, a recreational drug, but actually something that can help people. So I brought him on. We'd actually had him on two years ago when Atai was still pretty new. So I brought him on to talk about, you know, the progress, what's happened over the past two years and how things are looking as as a time moves forward now as a public company and the work they're doing and what the world looks like in terms of mental health and mental health treatment. So I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, I give you Christian Angermeyer, the founder of Atai Life Sciences. Enjoy. Thanks for taking the time. So it's we were just saying before we started recording, it's been many moons since you were first on the pod. Practically 24, more or less exactly, yes. So thanks for, for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. So the world has changed quite a bit. So I saw, obviously, you guys went public on Friday. But I think when you were on back in March 2019, Atai was pretty new. The idea of a psychedelics company was pretty new. So I was wondering if you just talk about, you know, you had to just spend, I don't know how long, talking to investors, people with money, and trying to convince them that this is a thing that is worth investing in, it's a good business, that it's realistic. One of you just talk about like what that experience has been, especially when it go back two and a half years when you just started this thing and it seemed like a bit more kind of, of an out there idea. Totally. Uh, well, so, so yeah, it, it was actually, I think it was April, May, but like uh, 2019. And it was indeed like your podcast. And then it was around the Milken Conference. So this was sort of yeah. the first, uh, and it was definitely the first of our, let's call it public uh, appearance. I was super excited talking about my own psychedelic experience with you and then later on stage. Um, so what has happened, meaning we started at Thai 2018. 18 and Compass Pathways, one of our portfolio companies, which we span out uh, and IPO'd separately. We started actually already 2017, based in London, yeah. And both are now, so Atai and Compass are listed here in the US on, on NASDAQ. So yeah, so at the very beginning, it was like, finally, like, really, I had some very early supporters, which are very grateful, uh, notably mainly Mike Novogratz and uh, Peter Thiel. And even those two who are known for making sort of wild bets or whatever, <laughs> were like, you know what, like we trust you because we do a lot of other stuff together, but it's a bit crazy. So it was very interesting to see the most sort of, how you say, accomplished um, tech investor friends I have, like even them like, okay, we don't know, but let's see. But at least, when they, but they were in, but it was not actually so... In the early days, it was not easy to um, to raise outside capital. So we were in this lucky position, hindsight, if I look back, that uh, we sort of, I mean, at high and compass together, we reinvented the psychedelic business yeah, in this century or in this millennia, because mm. obviously there was one in the last century. And the only way why it worked, and I believe very much uh, in this sort of a little bit that it's fate, is because also I was able to put in a lot of money myself on my convict on conviction. So I'm an unusual founder because I'm also an investor. So uh, I put in actually $40 million myself over various rounds. Yeah, 
Of your uh, own so, money. Of my own money, yeah. So I was really convinced from the beginning, obviously. Yeah, but like, so I think if I hadn't been able to do that, it wouldn't have come together because it was too outlandish at the beginning. And it really just changed in 2020. So can we just pause for a second? Because for those who didn't hear the first podcast, I mean, you just said you were so convinced that you put $40 million of your own money into this. Why were you so convinced? And I presume it was because you had this experience. So I wonder if you could just talk about that so people understand where you're coming from. So first of all, as a background, which I think which is also important, is that I sort of run my family office so and my own investment business. So and I'm doing both. So we, as a default position, we're investing in, in tech and biotech with my, my family office at Pyron. And then once in a while, and that ties obviously our lighthouse uh, example for that, we, we also starting companies ourselves, always then when we have a, a novel idea like a tie. So and there is not a company out there we could invest because there is none. So I had my first, really ever first psychedelic experience in 2014, which I always say is notable to know. And this is also one of the reasons why from the beginning, at least in my friend circle, and then this crew, I was always easy to talk about this, that I'm most likely the least, let's call it druggy person you're going to ever meet. Like Because mm. till 2014, I had not done anything else, not even alcohol, meaning I've never tried alcohol in my whole life, still not. Uh, I've never smoked a cigarette, never smoked a joint. And then there was this sequence of things. Again, there's so much things happened, like in the right order that I, I mean, again, in, in general, I believe in faith in, in life. So, but like, so several things had happened, like uh, pre-2014, where I had met a scientist, uh, Rainer Spannagel, who's a very famous neuroscientist. And he was the first one ever to tell me about psychedelics and especially mushrooms. Yeah. So he gave me sort of the intellectual backbone. Yeah. And I started reading about it. I was not convinced though. I mean, I was like, oh my God, it's still like, I, I'm such a coward actually. And such a, so, uh, and then, but then other friends mentioned it suddenly as well. So a lot of people, you know, when it pops up left and right. And then I was on an island in the Caribbean in, in 2014. So in a country always to mention, but it was really like it's where it's legal and friends had it and i was like okay you know what like i read so much about it and the science is so convincing because mm. meaning there was all the science in the 60s it was once a legal medical treatment already like we have all the data so i was like you know what let's do it and even i was a already happy person so it was not like i, I wasn't coming from a from looking for for healing or whatever so even for me as a happy person it added so much of happiness and positivity so it was hands down the single most meaningful thing i've ever done in my whole life that i was literally the next day i was like okay i can totally see if it's doing this amount of positivity to me mm. as a healthy happy person i can totally see how this might be able to cure uh, and help people with mental health issues and it was sort of the beginning of my thought process so were you just on a beautiful beach somewhere and you're like i'm gonna take magic mushrooms and it was just a fantastic trip basically yes exactly that was the short version of it yeah <laughs> although i think the, the set and setting is super important but yeah so most of the stuff happened in my head like so the beach then vanished and i went into my own wonderland but like yes but it was an amazing set and especially i think even more important than the beach it was with the right people so my two best friends julian and landon who uh, had experience with uh, with mushrooms, so I felt sort of safe. I had a shaman, and that's by the way exactly what we want to recreate now medically. So there was a shaman there as well. Well, kind of like like shaman is like a broad word, but somebody who takes care of you. Like it's it's right. it's not something you should do 
alone. And that's also what a Thai wants to do. So we want to make it medic. This is super important because people are always asking me like, do you want to make it like free sellable? Like can I, is it, is it yeah. the same like cannabis? And it's not like we want to make certain psychedelics available under for the medical use. Yeah. And under the guidance of a psychotherapist or a doctor or a qualified person. Right. And so fast forward to your past, whatever, however long this roadshow was, what was the reception? Because as you say, you know, a lot's happened in the past two and a half years. Compass went public, I believe, last September in in London, which is obviously a big moment for the kind of, let's call it the industry. I don't know if you can call it that yet. But how was it when you're going around to institutions and pension funds and Wall Street and just being like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're creating this company around all these different psilocybin and or ketamine based therapies. So you mean how the roadshow was now for the IPO? Yes. It was interestingly, again, it completely switched from zero to hero or from crazy to accepted. Like it was a very almost normal roadshow. Like we, we had a broad reception from all types of investors, from, Mutual funds, as you say, to pension funds, to uh, hedge funds, to specialized biotech funds, meaning it was very, and I mean, two things I think happened. One is I, I really credit a lot. So a big shout out to, to Michael Pollan. Yeah. Uh, and there mm. were others, but Michael Pollan, I think with his book, How to Change Your Mind, uh, literally changed the mind of people a lot about psychedelics. And then also even leave psychedelics aside for a second i think the whole problem so mental health issues as the most likely biggest problem of healthcare at the moment like over the last 12 months really got into the focus of uh, both of, of the society of investors of politicians yeah and that together sort of the awareness for the problem and just a number because i always think it's so striking because uh, i mean i didn't know it before i was thinking about that thing in 2014 or before I started, it's like there's 1 billion people suffering from one or more mental health issues. And that's just the official number. So the, the unofficial one is most likely way higher because it's a stigmatized disease still. So people are not easy coming forward with it. Yeah, and that's, I think, also one of the reasons why the number is growing because more and more people sort of come forward. So yeah, so I think it's that, it's sort of the awareness for the problem combined with sort of a more, I want to say pragmatic, but like a more realistic view on psychedelics because some of them had been already medications in the last century. So it's practically, this is what it was always for me, like, and it just took a while till sort of uh, investors and society caught up. It's like, if you have a huge problem and you have a solution which worked in the last century, I'm pretty confident it's going to work in this century as well. Yeah. So, and that sort of has in the meantime become like usual wisdom. And so we had George from Compass on the pod probably six months ago or longer. And the way that psilocybin therapy has been described to me, especially for people with, I think it's treatment resistant depression, is that it's quite good. It kind of, if you think of your depression as like your like a broken record stuck in a groove and this knocks you out of that groove. So there's compass as part of a tie and then you've got a few other psilocybin based treatments, but then you also have some other ones 
with ketamine and the other one you said, which I can't remember. I, I ibogaine, ibogaine, yeah, ibogaine. Is that the same kind of mechanism, or is it different? Um, in detail, it's different. It's sort of I would go one step back. So all, all psilocybin stuff is in Compass, yeah. So yeah. practically on the Atai platform, we still own twenty, around about approximately twenty percent of Compass, which is sort of these psilocybin company. And then we have other compounds directly on that high level where we own the majority up to 100%. Like an ibogaine is one of them. Then a DMT, which people know often of from the ritualistic um, brew ayahuasca, which is the main ingredient or the D ingredient, the, the active ingredient is, is DMT. Then a new version of ketamine, uh, R-ketamine, salvia, and so on. And by the way, that's the interesting, It's I would say that we're like, Mental health, our brain is really like a very beautiful and complex organ. And this is why there is not one reason for a mental health issues. There is sort of yeah. various ones. And interestingly, psychedelic seem to, I'm saying seem to, because I always have to add like what Compass and Atai are up to is like proving it once and for all. And we're sort of in the process. So everything I have to say, I have to say sort of as an assumption. Yeah. But they, yeah. they seem to address interestingly various form of reasons like if you are in this broken record problem yeah they kick you out of it like it's like i call it like a positive trauma or like a, a super positive thing but for example for other people the the reason for mental health issues can be like a, a trauma and then it's really going right to that and let's call it dissolving it or let you work through the trauma but by that solving it yeah mm. A lot of people actually feel uh, the reason is, and there is a great book also, which is called, um, oh no, I'm blanking now, but it's about disconnection. Like a lot of people sort of, you can trace back the, the mental health issues of, it's called lost connections, uh, about not feeling connected to humanity, to other people, to nature. So in that case, psychedelics are bringing back that connection. Yeah. So there's many root cases. And the interesting thing is they seem to really go, sort of where you need it. And then depending what the issue is, some seem to be better for the one thing, some for the other. For example, ibogaine, let's go to the most sort of extreme, but most um, interesting one from my point of view, because ibogaine seems to have the potential to completely cure any addiction up to opioid addiction, which is obviously a huge problem, especially in the US. And so there are, there is anecdotal evidence. So you're talking about alcohol, for example. Yeah, but I always want to say alcohol is almost easy. Like the that's the strongest addiction we know is heroin and opioids. Yeah. Yeah. So and uh, it it dissolves kind of any form of addiction, but even actually opioid and heroin addiction. Alcohol addiction. There are also some interesting studies already with psilocybin, whatever. So it seems to be that sort of like for alcohol, cigarette addiction, that stuff you can work with psilocybin. DMT, for example, is also very anti addictive or seems to be anti-addiction solving but like sort of for like heroin and opioid ibogaine seems to be the the best one so potentially so just so i understand because it was a bit unclear ibogaine can potentially or shown potential to dissolve addiction like you for opioid addicts for heroin addicts yes yeah so you do a trip and there are ibogaine clinics in mexico where people do that this is why we have that what we call anecdotal evidence oh really and it seems to be that one trip has the potential to completely dissolve the addiction. Wow. 
which is big, which is huge. Meaning, especially when you look at how addiction and opio- especially opioid addiction is is ripping apart America. And ipobane, what is that from? What's the origin? It's uh, it's originally meaning we have we synthesize it, but it's uh, originally from a plant or like a tree in uh, West Africa, uh, in Gabon actually. Mm. So and it's just there. It's native to that area, and uh, the native people there use it as a rite of passage. And if you want the if you want the psychological explanation, again, always with the disclaimer, we are about to prove it medically. And and uh, but like so, the people who took ibogaine anecdotally and and uh, and got healed, they report that it's a little bit like purgatory. So you practically revisit in a trip which can last up to 48 hours. This is why, meaning that's the most obvious one where it becomes clear that you need to do it under medical guidance, yeah? But that you revisit all sort of kind of the bad decisions you made. Oh, God. Which led up to your addiction. But that shows like how you need to break the cycle. So so I think a lot of stuff is like if people are treated with mental health issues in general, it's just on the surface. And this is why it never works, because hmm. most of the mental health problems, is, they are so deeply ingrained in, in our brain. And at Ibogaine, you really literally revisit your journey, which led you to the addiction. But by doing that, it sort of breaks the pattern. Wow. And how did you guys come across that? Is there academic research on this? Or I mean, because it sounds like there's some clinics in Mexico. But I, I mean, until I was reading your slide deck, I'd never even heard of it before. So what is important, because I, I really want to give all of them massive credit, because I always say, like, we did not, we at Atai did not invent psychedelics, obviously. Yeah. What yeah. we did, we reinvented, as you call the psychedelic industry, the psychedelic business or the medical side of it in this millennia. But first of all, all the, uh, not all, but like a lot of these substances are used by humans since thousands of years. There are even some researchers who think, that they used since 20, 100,000 of years, that mm. there is this one interesting theory, like the stoned ape theory, that they could even have sparked humanity and sort of the step from the apes. Well, because it's always the question of what makes us human. So the, sto- sorry, just the stoned ape theory, which I have not heard before. <laughs> oh my God, it's like, it's my favorite theory, like, uh, because I believe in it. That's an amazing, I mean, it sounds like an amazing theory. So the idea is that maybe an ape eats some of this tree in Gabon or whatever, and then kind of has this experience and is like, hmm, maybe I should do more with my opposable thumbs and start walking on just on my hind legs. Well, <laughs> that that is maybe the simplified version of it. Yeah. Yes. I mean, first of all, interestingly, like what happens uh, after psychedelic trips is what we call neuroplasticity. Yeah. Mm. So your brain literally, super simplified set, starts growing and developing new neurons and so whatever so which is by the way also one in fact so you practically you have this immense positive experience yeah during uh, the trip but then the neuroplasticity is one of the things which helps you integrating that into your sort of life because it doesn't end with the trip but the post-integration work uh, is extremely important this is why also again it's so important to do it with a therapist not just while you're doing it so but he's he or she is going to help you with that integration work. But like, so you have this neuroplasticity. So there is sort of a, yeah, an element of brain growth or uh, to it. And then you have this sort of spiritual experience. And if you think about what makes us human, so I had uh, a discussion with one of the, the scientists who's sort of doing research, like what and, and if psychedelics like 
were done by our ancestors like hundreds of thousands of years ago. So one of the things which makes us human is the sort of spiritual part of us. Yeah. So, which by the way, it can be proven that humans are the only, I was super amazed about that. Like humans are the only animal who has every single human worldwide has a ritualized way. And we always had that. So you can trace that back a long time to honor the dead. And no animal is doing that. Sometimes an elephant might put a little bit of grass on their body, but they don't do it structurally all around the world. All elephants are doing something. Right. Yeah. So, but you just honor the dead if you have sort of an idea that there is more to right. life than than just a dead body. Yeah. So, and maybe they will start with psychedelics. Meaning, it's a theory which is hard to prove, but they did find psychedelic um, plants in really, really old graves and stuff like that. So, um, so there are indications. And what I would always recommend is, and if you haven't had him on the podcast, it's a must. It's like Brian Murarescu, a friend of mine. He uh, wrote an amazing book called The Immortality Key, where he traced back most big religions, including Christianity, to the use of psychedelics. So not as a theory, but like as partly proven because right. they found substances in ancient like ceremonial cups and graves and whatever. So can I just, <laughs> when you were meeting with like, I don't know, pick your big institution, BlackRock or, you know, Firefighters Fund or whatever, did the stoned ape theory come up? Sometimes I'm very forward with that. <laughs> so, I, no, like I, so I know that some said it was a different kind of roadshow, partly, but like, uh, um, yeah, it does. Like, uh, I like it. Meaning, I like to bring it up. Uh, yeah, that's funny. I mean, the other thing, obviously, the perhaps the biggest thing is regulatory aspect of this. You know, because I think. To your point, there was like this whole, there's been this kind of reversal, or at least in this awakening of the potential of these drugs for therapeutic purposes. And you guys are in the midst of doing these trials at Compass and elsewhere to prove that out. But these are class A drugs. They're illegal. Well, they are illegal for consumption and selling, whatever. So yeah. you can obtain an approval to work with them. So, and by the way, that's not which just... Comp which Compass has. Right? Which Compass has, which all of ours, uh, our entities have. So we obviously, right. we, we, so we, this is really, really important. Again, like we're not like a cannabis company who tries to find a loophole. We are a very, in that sense, a very traditional classic biotech company, which has yeah. a number of um, drugs or compounds in development. Yeah, more than 10 in our case. And we do it like, very by the book because that's i think is the important thing so i'm on the one side yeah i'm very open to talk about my personal experience and sort of the, the let's call it i don't know spiritual like or the the overlay and the fun stories like the stone ape theory but at the same time and i think that goes hand in hand i think it's super important that we once and for all prove that in an let's call it an undeniable super scientific very rigorous process because we don't want to do the same mistake which had happened in the in the last century where people were too loosely, too quickly sort of, let's call it promoting it. And then, then you get the backslash if you can't sort of prove it. Like, and by the way, then I wanted to say, so sorry to, to go back to where we, mm. where we get distracted by the stone ape theory, but because you asked like, how did we come to these substances? Like what I wanted to say is like, we reinvented the business side in this, in this millennia, but there were or are amazing people 
who actually, how you say, held the torch, like, or like, yeah. were like supporting or were like keeping the research going on the pure research side, even let's say through the last, what is it, like 30, 40 years when it was not cool. So, and I really, 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 really appreciate and, and, and think they should be always mentioned and, and, and applauded. Like there is a Rick Doblin who, who's running maps, uh, who's focusing on, uh, on MDMA, but there is, for example, to come to Ibogaine, there is my colleague, Deborah Mesh. Yeah. She is Mrs. Ibogaine since decades. Oh. And she was doing all the research with, uh, addiction when addiction was not on the forefront of every newspaper. Where is she? Uh, she's based in Miami. Okay. You should have her on. She's amazing. Um, and what we did with the sort of classic psychedelics, yeah, we went to these people and we're like, look, we think it's the time now to, to try it again, to bring them into the medical world. You have the knowledge about the substance. Uh, we mm. have the capital, yeah, but we also have, which is very important, we have the knowledge about how to get things approved. So we have a very strong yeah. regulatory team in Atai. And you need all of that. You need the research, you need uh, the sort of the regulatory strategy, trial design or whatever, and you need the capital. And we were like not trying to do it without those people together with them. So, so and right. this is how we onboarded them as partners and partnered with all these sort of legendary uh, people for the core psychedelics. And we also then in Atai sort of are working on the next generation of psychedelics, like sort of trying to de design new ones like famous Shulgin did in, in the 70s. Get more of The Times and The Sunday Times for less than a pound a day. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to start your free trial. That's once again, thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley so that they know I sent you. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And so what is the timeline? And I, I recognize that there's going to be a different timeline for each drug. Exactly, yeah. But in terms of, you know, the it feels like getting the first across the line and out into the world in a therapeutic setting, for example, would be a very big deal because it would, again, kind of show the way. So what does that look like in terms of timing? I would say it's years with an S, but not decades. So, and as you said, like we, um, it's different for every single uh, yeah. one of our compounds. 
Compass in our family, Compass uh, with psilocybin is most advanced. They have a readout end of this year for their phase 2B trial, then there follows a phase 3. But we're talking, and this is in biotech terms, it's pretty advanced and pretty short, talking about years, not decades. Yeah. And phase 2B is, that's safety still before you get to efficacy. No, no, it's also efficacy. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's both. Yeah. Okay. I would say in biotech terms, it's always the most decisive one because then you really can say we know and not just we assume. Right. And not to get kind of too philosophical, but just when you talk about, you know, before you got into this world, you're like, oh my God, there's a billion people who have mental struggles. Do you have any thoughts on kind of where we are now? And, you know, I'm saying this coming from a place where I'm covering social media all the time and the effects that that is having on people and this, you know, supercomputer that everybody is staring at all day long. How does that factor into what you guys are trying to do? Because obviously they're related. So I have a theory, like it's my personal one, so it's not a scientific one, but like for me, super simplified said, the world we live in is very bad for our brain. Yeah. And the world we're building because we're just at the beginning. So, and I think it's always like, so one of one theory I have is we all believe like you and I and all my friends, like your friends in, in Silicon Valley, like we all love what we're doing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's an honest love. Like I, so it's positive, but like, so we, we do forget. So when I, when I go back at a class reunion or something like, or when I talk to people who are not in the tech world, like how frightening the world can be to humans so and that it's just a small minority of people who really sort of are super comfortable with the world and especially the vision of the world we're going to build in the next 10 20 years and let's not let's let's not kid ourselves like the next 10 20 years is going to be so incredibly disruptive and transformative for mm. how we we live I mean, if you want to be super philosophical even how we are as humans yeah that it's completely alienating a vast majority of uh, of of people and sort of that fear again if what i said before like what are drivers for mental health issues it's trauma it's fear it's all these negativity yeah so and i think that fear is putting really the entire world on a, on a mental health problem one thing i was was sort of finding and unfortunately and i hopefully we have the solution but a an analogy for like the last time that happened in history was like the, the time of 1850 following. So if you go back and I'm a history geek, so I, I started reading a lot of books at the time. And by the way, there are famous authors like Jules Verne, yeah, who uh, who wrote all these sci-fi books, yeah, and people going to the moon and right. uh, then undersea boats. Meaning, and by the way, if so, if you go back into that time, if you try to find newspapers out of the time or books, that by the way, the Paris World Exhibition happened in that time, like 1860 something, I think where they built the Eiffel Tower, you had an elite which was dreaming the future. And scarily, it was the same we do now. It was like, hey, we're going to have, we're going to go to the moon, we're going to have flying cars, meaning whatever. And it was actually a time, similar like today, where a lot of what we would call now platform technologies were Mm. invented. It was actually the car, it was the phone, and it was electricity. So these were the platform technologies of that time and around these... That were in the process or on the cusp of completely transforming how we live as humans. Everything. Yeah. Literally yeah. everything. So because we were at the cusp of the Industrial Revolution, but what these elite forgot is that 
the vast majority of people back then were farmers and living in rural mm. countries, rural, rural parts. And I think they were deeply terrified of that sort of vision of the future. And fear is like, I mean, there is this famous, uh, I love Dune, the, the novel, and I mean, there is this, um, this uh, poem against fear, yeah, because fear is always bringing out the worst in people. And if you look, what did people do with the ordinary people? They, they try to find a resort or they try to retract into two very bad ideologies. Communism was invented and nationalism. So it was practically ideas which were deadly wrong, literally deadly wrong. But for a time, for a certain time, they gave people the feeling of belonging. They gave people a false yeah. security, like they gave people community. So, and if you look what's happening now, I, so I have actually really some friends I know they believe in QAnon. Yeah. And in a, if in the first instance, yeah, like, how can you be so stupid? Like, People in can... your circle, which is obviously, you know. No, like, like more like when he brought her, like, yeah, like, but yeah. like sort of high school friends who, who, yeah, uh, yeah. who text me with uh, weird conspiracy theories and are like, oh, you must know that this is happening. And I was like, no, like, it's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah but like, or the whole, like, the, hey, there's so many things. I don't want to. I don't want to actually put one out now because then people might be alienated. But what I want to say is like it's the same happening again. If you look at the time back then. So what are the platform technologies when you talk about, you know, this is a bad time for our brains? Is it like the the smartphone? Is that what you're talking about? It's everything. It's like it's not I – mean, so I think you have – we can go on different levels. We can say social media and the smartphone is already super bad for your brain. Yeah. yeah. Let's say we can start and stop there. Like we can – my favorite example is like – there are great studies out there with rats and whatever where, where you can show that permanent comparison and external feedback and all of that yeah. is terribly for your brain. It's, at first, it was super addictive. So the likes on Instagram, yeah, but also seeing people who are seemingly always hotter than you are, better off than you are, bigger <laughs> boobs than you have, like whatever, yeah, like yeah. makes your brain, it's really bad. There's, there's this one um, study where if you put two rats in, a, in two cages next to each other and they can see each other and the mm -hmm. one is an alpha rat, so a strong one, and the other one is a beta rat, and, but they, are, they cannot hurt each other because there is like the, the cage in between. The better rat, just by looking at the alpha rat, but always have sort of a sort of a better version, almost to say, like becomes depressive, like uh, and develops sign of depression. So, so social media is bad. But then, so practically, meaning there is the things we already have which are bad for our brain, which we do like social media, and then there is sort of what I tried to describe before is like sort of these undefined fear of the future. Take a bus driver, yeah. So he or she might not be able to explain in detail what AI is, yeah? but somehow he or she knows that deep down gut feeling that in 10 years, the bus will be not driven by a human being. So they have fear of losing their existence, losing their purpose. Yeah. By the way, that's another way to put it. So if I, if I talk with friends about mental health, I think what we need, or I think there is by the way, and disclaimer, it's very Christian theory, like not proven scientific reason. But I think there is, I thought a lot, and there are, is already great study, studies out there about the idea of resilience. So why similar things happening to similar people, but they have different ways to cope with it. So for example, with death or anyways, when bad things happen, some people seem to be resilient to it. Yeah. Some people not. And my, again, super personal theory, not scientifically I think it's like 
that we have kind of an immune system in our brain. And it consists actually of three things. It consists of faith, which is any form of belief, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, why? Because the biggest worry you have, and I'm very sure you wouldn't normally talk about it, is that either you die, but even worse, your children or your loved ones can die. Yeah, yes. And that is sort of a constant fear everybody of us has. I think everybody is afraid of personally accident that are to yourself and to the loved ones. And religion, I think the best religion does, and it's not a proof that God exists, but what any form of spirituality does, it's sort of mitigating a little bit that sort of fear we all have every single minute of our lives. Uh, And that's, I think, is a very, very healthy thing. This is why I think is one of the reasons why literally our brain needs faith and spirituality. So the second big thing our brain seems to need is purpose. We want to be needed. We want to have a job. We want to have a purpose in life. We want to know in the morning when we wake up, sort of why we're here, why, why we, wh- what is our sort of place in society and our positive like role in it. And then this, the third one, which we seem to need, very cheesy now I know, but is love. Like we, yeah. need a, we need a community with other people, like close one, we need, but we also need a bigger one, like, I don't know, a sort of social field. So and if you look at what was also happening in our world, partly because of technology, partly because of where sort of social developments are going, is that actually exactly those three things, faith, purpose, and love, are actually massively on the decline. So faith is like evaporated, purpose, what I already said, like I think a lot of people feel that the job they're doing now will not be around in 20 years anymore and that terrorizes them. And then also love and communities are sort of dissolved. And that I think is together sort of literally diminishing the, the sort of virtual immune system we have. And now if I go back to psychedelics, all of them one way or the other, that's actually what they give you back. You have some form of spirituality normally after it. Yeah, it mm. can be wider, it can be like, but like they always, psychedelics give you these sort of spiritual, mystical experience. Yeah, they always show you what you really want in life and actually positively like they show you what everybody of us, like everybody has a, something to contribute in a positive meaning. Everybody has a value for him or herself. Yeah. And they, so they yeah. give you back sort of the self awareness, self pride. But that doesn't always happen though, does it? Sometimes people just have a really bad trip and it sends them in a completely different avenue. And I'm thinking of a couple of people from college who I know who mushrooms in particular sent them off in a path and they, you know, they're institutionalized. And I don't know if that was the mushrooms per se, but maybe it was just accentuated their issues but it was kind of the quintessential bad trip from which they did not return what we can say we have never found hard evidence so far not in our studies not in not in the massive anecdotal and sort Mm. of um, old studies back of the in the last century which uh supported what you said so that's that i would call in in the way you said it i would call it an urban legend yeah so, um, so that people don't return. Yeah. That's, we haven't found anything like that ever. And there, there, were, there have been so many studies, uh, in the last, uh, uh, in the last century. But everybody knows somebody's had 
a bad trip. Yeah, or that's a that, so trip. everybody knows somebody is is the typical saying for an urban urban legend. But no, but let I know what you want. To, you know, <laughs> I know somebody yeah, no, 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 Okay, no, 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 but like definitely not to come not come back. So like what people do have what is colloquially described as a bad trip. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that can happen. Yeah, so uh, I had actually two trips which you would colloquially describe as a bad trip. However, and that's important is. I don't like the word because like they can be equally strong healing trips. Yeah. yeah. So I like to call them challenging trips. Yeah. Because sometimes the experience you have to make to learn something or dissolve a trauma or whatever can be very, very unpleasant, but it's giving you healing. And this shows the importance. Yeah. Why actually these were the most uh, impressive things I've seen with oppressive, like friends who, who went through a, it's called a bad trip or a challenging trip, and then were healed of severest trauma. But they even more need a guide, a therapist with them. Yeah. So that's the, the, the sort of the reason. Yeah. So this is why also why I'm so, so adamant that, and I know, yeah, to, to pre-take the question, because I know a lot of people are saying, oh, he's saying that, because he wants to make a business out of it and it's a better business yeah, if yeah, you yeah. keep it medically. And it's really bullshit, yeah? Because if you have seen people who really need it for healing, yeah, they need a therapist. This can be, as you say, a very challenging trip, yeah, which has to be guided by a pro. But then, especially those challenging trips um, can sort of help. The other thing, just thinking about kind of, again, you know, how a lot of this has to be or all of these kind of treatments have to be kind of guided by a pro. How big a challenge is it finding those pros? Because right now, again, this is kind of a, it's certainly not mainstream. You don't have every psychiatrist under the sun be like, yeah, I'm, I know how to like conduct psilocybin-based therapy. No, so we have, uh, and we're developing that, so we have to train the therapists. But the good thing is it's sort of, it's not a novel training. It's like, it's sort of call it an add on to their profession. I actually think it will. And I know it because I spoke to a lot of psychotherapists and a lot of them are actually frustrated because they know Mm. there had been these solutions in the last century. Actually, some of them still do it underground because if you are a psychotherapist or a doctor, you swore on an oath to to help your people your patients yeah and if you were around in the 60s and it was medically available and you saw that this is helping and then for no reason than political one the government took it away from you uh, and you see patients suffering yeah some of them still sort of found a workaround let's call it that way and i think most of them are eagerly awaiting that they finally get tools which really have the potential to to help their patients really and not just like the best case at the moment a psychotherapist can achieve super simplifying said now is sort of keeping the patient stable yeah right but like most people are then on ssris forever that's all not a cure it's like sort of a an ongoing treatment yeah most people need psychotherapy forever yeah to just keep them stable yeah and I think for the, we hope that we give those psychotherapists like the real curative solutions at hand. With Mike Novogratz and Peter Thiel and yourselves, I mean, it sounds like you guys basically created and funded this company to get to where it is. Is that fair? 
Well, over time, like we did a Series C round last year and we did a Series D earlier this year. And in these two rounds, then actually also already institutions came on board. So it really mm. changed. I, I mean, as I said before, like the perception changed in kind of mid-2020. Yeah. What, do you know why? Was it just... Was it, a... I said it was like, I think it's sort of... I think sometimes things happen and meaning a lot of, I would say, it's called synchronicity. Like things happen at the same time. Like, again, I think it was both the awareness of the problem. So that when you look at the opioid crisis, this really became sort of, a, the problem is there since a while, but like it became obvious to the public that there is a problem also like 2020. So, so in general, I think mental health as maybe the biggest problem of our time in healthcare sort of surfaced onto the radar of people in 2020. Then actually our research, meaning yeah. not just the, the research the companies are doing, but like also the Compass is, is, is supporting a lot of, uh, of sort of university research. Like, so there are, there are a lot of other, like meaning there was a lot of great basic research, like from Robin Carateris uh, from Imperial College and so on. Like then you had, as I said, the book of Michael Pollan. Like there were many, many, many bits and pieces. Right. Yeah, and we are one of them, which sort of led to these uh, psychedelic renaissance. I want to shift gears for a second because you do lots of interesting stuff and talk about events because you are a DEAG. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a big live events, live music company. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah one of the biggest ones, uh, independent ones in in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. What does life look like right now? And what's the last year been? So the funny thing for, for DAG, which stands for Deutsche Entertainment, was that we were, weirdly, we were in, insured. We were one of the very few really? life insurance companies who, which were insured specifically against the pandemic because you had to take... How were you insured against the pandemic? Um, again, like sometimes, I meaning you can always, I could say like, because we're super smart or the management is super smart. <laughs> and the management is super smart, but the management had an insurance... Uh, disaster like years ago where they were not fully insured against uh, in that case it was back then i think it was um, like a natural disaster so they were especially sort of careful and thinking about the whole insurance side which by the way supports my my spiritual view that any bad thing which happens to you in life you can turn it into something even better you just yeah. need to trust the universe that this is a sign. This is how I handle every bad event. Yeah, and oh, people are always saying, "Oh, you're always happy." Like, but like, I I do have bad days, bad events. Yeah, but I'm very and I deeply, deeply believe that everything bad which happens must be something good. I just don't see it yet. Yeah, and so I call it always the J curve effect of things. Like in like in venture, like things go down first, but then they can go really up. Like and the yeah, same yeah. like so DAG because something bad had happened and was it like. 2015, yeah, they were like fully insured or a low, uh, to, to a good extent. And then in Germany, I have to say, big shout out to the German government. They handled, and then the bi biggest market is Germany. So they, the German government was very supportive to the entire creative industry, to events, mm. to uh, filmmakers, whatever. So, and practically insurance plus government support was actually okay. Meaning it's sad if you can't right. work practically. Yeah, but uh, so, so the company as a company absurdly was doing fine yeah but now we eagerly awaiting the first concert do you think the pandemic has will fundamentally change the industry because i'm just thinking personally like and i'm in california last week the kind of state reopened we're 40 million people 
And theoretically, if you're vaccinated, you can go out. You don't have to wear a mask, all of this stuff. And people are still trying to figure out what that means. Like half the people have a mask. Some people are still staying at home. Nobody really knows what to do. But I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I can't wait to go to a concert where this talking disease can be spread. That's a good question. Meaning I personally think humans in our deepest nature don't change and yeah. we, we are social animals. We want that. And, and there is maybe meaning, oh, by the way, and young people, I think, think differently. Like, yeah, look at Miami. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meaning, uh, no, seriously, I was like the first six weeks while the pandemic was not over officially, I was in Miami and I was like in, in Disneyland, like, and I was like, wow, like, uh, even for me. And I'm like, I was not so, anxious um but like i was like okay that's that's staring yeah so i think yeah. we need that so and, and maybe there is a how you say a transition period of some weeks some months yeah but like yeah and and you see that actually in concerts which are put on for next year they're sold out actually quicker than they ever have been yeah i think people have a hunger a hunger for life right i hope you're right and i hope it all works out <laughs> yeah but again we we are humans and we're not going to change um, no. again i think we need more after the pandemic i think by the way and sadly to make again the link to mental health like the pandemic is one of the big drivers so mental health was a problem before and now it's a bigger problem like we are not meant to be solitary people like we are community but anyway, by the way one of my things which sorry that i'm sort of bring up the point without you asking but it's, i think it's a really important one mm. because uh, and it, it fits in sort of this concept question like what i do believe and what i'm trying to work on politically is that just if you look at the sort of let's call it acknowledged mental health issues like depression anxiety addiction whatsoever this you come to these more than one billion people but i actually think we have already today more mental health issues in our society which we have not given a name to. And as long as we don't name them fully, we cannot cure them. It's a little bit, it reminds me like post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Yeah. Wasn't known, but people had it. Like, so after the world war, people were acting most likely equally odd than people after the, the Iraq war. But like back then, people were like, okay, you know what? Be happy you survived the war. Go, go, man up, yeah. whatever. And just like late in the 2000s, we like we ask ourselves, maybe there is something wrong or something we can treat. And then PTSD was was termed, and since then we really found. Yeah. And our, so anyway, so and for example, my my near term thing is like loneliness. Meaning at least we have already a name for it, yeah. But loneliness, from my point of view, is a treatable disease. So we don't need mm. to be lonely. So but people are lonely. Look at an old people's home. Yeah, you yeah. could say like, why are these people lonely? Why are they sitting in the last years of their life when they could enjoy it? I always say like, an old people's home could be like a summer camp, like back to what we were when we were ten, twelve. Like you, you are together with your friends. You have time. You can enjoy life. You can talk about everything, whatever. But why don't they do it? Why do people sit in their rooms and uh, stare out of the window? I think because our brain, in uh, older we get we're not able to make new friends or the ability to make new friends is going down. Yeah. So right. we're not as open for life as we used to have been. Yeah. Now comes a psychedelic trip. I think a psychedelic trip has the potential to change that. I think a psychedelic trip can literally 
or does actually, we already see that, like make you open for the world again and especially open for other people. So I could see a future where we define loneliness as an illness. And once we, and the UK actually made a big step forward and did so and named it as a problem illness. Yeah. And then ho I hope, deeply hope that someone we will be able to run trials, yeah, like really clinical trials to prove that psychedelics could help people connect better, especially in a higher age. Yeah. And that would completely change the way people are aging and people are spending their last years, which I really, really wish for because they deserve like a, a happy ending. Yeah. Lastly, just very quickly, you mentioned, um, how do you say it? Aperon? Apiron? Apiron. Apiron. Yeah. Apiron. Where did your money initially come from? Is this family money or did you just start or? No, it's self-made. I started a, a biotech company with two of my professors when I was 20. Uh, so a long time ago. And uh, so that was the first wealth creation. And since then, I'm sort of, as I said, I'm doing both. I'm investing. And we're in the meantime, one of the larger uh, venture investors, I think, globally. But also once in a while, like a Thai, uh, starting companies myself. And producing films. And producing movies, which I think is important because I think you have to be creative in life. And I want to be sort of live out my creative passion. Yeah. Which, by the way, I have a movie about happiness. <laughs> like to you do? Oh, yeah. So do. It's like, called Happiness, right? It's called Hector and the Search for Happiness with yeah. uh, Rosamund Pike and Christopher Plummer. Yeah. So it's, it was actually before my mushroom experience or around the time uh, explored side of the concepts of happiness and why our society is not really happy. Well, I look forward to having you on the pod again. Hopefully it won't take another two years, but um, it's fascinating. Uh, anytime. Like so many stuff to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Christian for taking the time again. Another repeat offender for uh, Danny in the Valley, which I always enjoy catching up with people who have been on the pod. I want to thank you guys for listening. I am off this week, so nothing in the paper from me, but... There's tons of stuff I've written on the website. You know, go there, check it out, have a search around thetimes.co.uk. You can also find me on Twitter, although I won't be tweeting much, I don't think, um, unless they're beach pictures or something, at Danny Fortson on Twitter. And that's it. I will be back next week with another pod. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Have a fabulous weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Want more out of this podcast? Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley to read articles based on these interviews, broader discussions of the topics covered here, and of course, the amazing work of all my colleagues across the rest of the paper, all for less than one pound a day. Start your free trial now by going to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Danny in the Valley. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.